Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today. I so appreciate you. I'm so grateful to get to spend some time with you again, talking about ways that you can up-level yourself and you can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. It's such an exciting world to get to live in, where you get to be able to thrive in your life and in your business. I hope it feels as good for you today as it does for me. I feel a little bit of sunshine inside of me very warm outside too and I hope that even if you're slugging through the snow because I know it's getting to be that time of year again that you really feel the sunshine inside of your heart today we want to jump right in I've got two amazing guests with some incredible things to help up level you I'm so excited about these people I oh gosh I'm not even going to talk a whole lot here because I want to jump right into them we have got some amazing things to share with you to help you really impactfully effectively run your business and be profitable in it. Think about that for a minute. So if you have as your exit strategy for your company that you'd like to sell it, it's going to need to be a profitable company. People are going to need to see that you're actually making profit for the company. If your exit strategy is, hey, I'd like to go public with my company, guess what? They're not only going to want to see that you're profitable as a company, they're one to see if you're going to, uh, you know, stay profitable, if you have a plan to be profitable. Because after all, if you go to investors, whether that be private investors or, you know, a publicly traded company, they want to get money back from their money. They perfect world as a publicly traded company want to get dividends every single month or every quarter from your company and really planning profitability and having a strategy for how your business is running is appealing to people who would invest in you is appealing to somebody who might buy you out guess what that really does more than anything else and a lot of it seems like I know the first time I heard it it's like yeah it's a great long-term strategy but what about today well more than anything what it does is it gives you a good today it moves you out of the rat race of feast and famine of worrying all the time whether or not you're gonna have enough money and really truly having a plan for being profitable, for making money, for making the difference that you're supposed to make, that you're intended to make, that you are going to make in this world. After all, that's really more than anything what it's all about, right? You have an amazing message to share with the world. You have an amazing product, good, or service that you offer out into the world. And you need to be profitable so that you can continue to do so, right? Just makes total sense to do that. And a lot of times I think we get so caught up in the day-to-day bills. I've done it. Two hands up and stand up for those of you that are in Lisa Nichols' community. You know what I mean by that? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But it's so much better when we can employ a methodology on purpose that allows us the ability to be able to say, hey, you know what? I can run this company in a profitable manner because then when we are in control of our finances instead of our finances being in control of us, we have that comfortable, safe, enjoyable, thriving life that we want to have to live 
as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Let's jump right into our talk today about profitability and creating a business that is desirable for people who want to invest or even buy you out. When I introduce this next guest to you, you're going to be excited. He is a massively impressive best-selling author. I love his books. Uh, I feel like a kindred spirit with him. And there is so much. I'm encouraging you now. Grab pen and paper. Get ready. This whole entire episode is going to be filled with things that you're going to want to take notes on. I hope you're ready for it. Without further ado, let's jump right into our first guest. Join me in welcoming Mike McCallowitz. Hey, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, Mike, so for people that have been living in a cave and don't know who you are at all, give us just a little brief rundown of who you are. Sure, sure. I don't know if they're living in a cave. I don't know if too many people know me, but I am an author uh, of some small business books. Uh, my most popular is Profit First, as I'm most known for, but also Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan. My most recent is called Fix This Next. And uh, an entrepreneur my entire life who 12 years ago uh, had a turning moment and uh, I realized I needed to figure out a lot about the entrepreneurial journey for myself and share what I discovered with others. And so for the last 12 years, I've been a full-time small business author. And just because he's not going to blow his own horn for you, I will tell you, he's also a number one new release with his new books, Fix This Next on Amazon um, and an international best-selling author. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be recognized in that way. Um, the most important thing to me, though, is the mission is there's this thing I call entrepreneurial poverty, where <laughs> I don't know, Steve, if you experience this, but the day you start a business, uh, it seems like your friends who have no experience around business think you're a millionaire and you're sitting on the beach, you know, drinking Mai Tais and other cocktails. And, and the reality is we're working our butts off. And we're not making money. That gap between the perception and the reality of entrepreneurship is what I call entrepreneurial poverty and have devoted my life to eradicate that poverty. I, I think we need to be successful in all definitions because that provides for our economy. It, applies, it provides employment for people. It provides for change in markets. So uh, we need to make this work. Oh, I understand that one so well. I remember the first time I told my mom what I was making gross. Yeah. And she immediately was like, well, you know, your brother could really use some help with. Oh my God. Yeah. Same with my parents. When I told my parents, I'm going to start my, a business. Uh, God bless them. They said, we, we support you, but they're like, shouldn't you consider a real job? <laughs> and uh, it was said lovingly. And, and they were right. Like it, it was a hard journey, but it's also so fulfilling and we can be so successful in all the definitions of success freedom of time, uh, financial freedom, um, joy, you know, having a platform, platform of joy. It's just, we have to do, 
we have to do the, the right things at the right time. I think that's the key. I'm going to uh, fan out for you for just a second here, and then we're going to hone in on, uh, on your books. But I am listening to Profit First on audio. You know, I've gone through it reading, but I am so loving it. You, you get me. You just have the perfect snarky wit, and I just totally <laughs> love it. Oh, that means the world to me. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, some people love it. Some don't, and I, I respect that. I get it. But it is who I am and who you are. And I think it's necessary to be our true selves. So um, does a person need to know the foundational elements of Profit First in order to read Fix This next? No, no. And actually, you don't even necessarily need to read Profit First first. Fix This Next was something I wrote when I discovered what I believe to be the biggest challenge that exists in the entrepreneurial space. And what it is, is the biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their business's biggest challenge is. We're constantly putting out fires. We constantly reprioritize and reprioritize again. And so I wrote Fix This Next to be a very simple tool to pinpoint what to work on. One of the elements is profit and profit first may be the solution. But before we do anything, we need to determine what does the business most need from us next and then concentrate our energies on that. So that's what Fix This Next does. So I'd say, if anything, Fix This Next is a starting point for many entrepreneurs, at least from the work that I've done. And they may find that then Clockwork or Profit First or one of my other books then satisfies the how-to once they know what to do. So, and of course, a person needs to read the whole book. So we're not going to give them the whole book. But um, give us a little taste of how do we know what is the next thing we should fix? How do we yeah. even know that we need to fix something? Maybe is where we should start. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, you know, if you are having one of two experiences, one experience is that frustration of going in with an agenda, yet your business takes over your agenda because of the constant stream of emails and questions lined up outside your door and all these constant demands that pull you in different directions. If you, the business owner, are carrying the business on your back, that's a strong indicator that you need to fix something to remove the business off your back. The, the other experience is, uh, is, is business is, is you know, putting on fires and so forth, and then that, that one day where everything clicks, if you've ever had that, like, like, wow, this was the day I've been waiting for. Clients are happy, money's rolling in. I finally have this figured out. But the day after that, if you return, return to work and it's totally out of control again, you're putting out fires, then you definitely need to fix this next. Because what that shows is that our business has something that you can do to make it click. You did something that came into alignment, but it only came in alignment for a day. How do we bring that around permanently? And uh, that's why I teach and fix this next. The method to do it is uh, what I call the business hierarchy of needs. And uh, it's a little bit of a lengthy description, but I think it's important. It starts off with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow was studying human needs and basically said there's five levels of needs we have starting at a foundational need and then elevating up. So foundationally, every human being in Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, has a need for physiological needs. So you and I both need to breathe air and drink water and eat food. Our survivability depends on that. And Maslow argued once that is adequately satisfied, then it's human uh, in the human I guess, genome to then go to the next level. And the next level is safety needs, shelter from the elements, protection from physical harm. And then once those are satisfied, then we move to higher level needs. Well, it keeps going up in Maslow. He's got five hierarchies or five levels in the hierarchy. And the highest level need is self-actualization, like living in one's life's purpose. Maslow argued if any time a base level need is compromised, we will revert to that base level need and satisfy it. So if we're talking right now and I'm eating a hamburger and it gets stuck in my throat, I can't breathe. This interview and our discussion may be very interesting, but I got to get this out of my throat. So I will biologically respond by choking and trying to get it out. In business, there's also five levels of needs. The one significant and critical difference though between Maslow's hierarchy and the business hierarchy of needs is we are neurologically wired into ourselves. You and I know when we're hungry. We know if we're suffocating and can't breathe and we will respond automatically, biologically. But we're not wired into our business, of course. So 
we don't have those senses. We don't have that choking feeling, whatever that happens to us. But we often say we do. We say, my gut, you know, tells me where to go. And that's the mistake. We, we constantly trust our gut. And that's why we stay stuck putting out fire after fire because our gut said, put out this next fire. So in Fix This Next, we have five levels of needs in the business hierarchy. The foundational need is sales. Every business needs sales. It's the same as breathing air. It's the creation of oxygen for a business. Once that's satisfied, we then have profit. Profit is uh, the creation of stability for an organization. Basically, it's like taking the oxygen from our lungs and now circulating it in the bloodstream. It fuels or feeds the business. Oxygen breathing is great, but if you can't put it into your bloodstream, you, you will die. So we have to have that profit. Once profit is adequately satisfied, then we move to order. Order is the creation of efficiency throughout an organization, the muscle of the organization. Once that's satisfied, we move on to impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. It's where businesses are now beyond transactions. They're transforming people's lives. And then the highest level is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. This is where business owners actually realize they were never really business owners as much as business stewards. They had a responsibility to bring this entity to life, but their involvement in it is secondary to the continuance of the business. And once you understand these five levels of needs, just like Maslow's hierarchy, we always start at the base and say, is it adequately satisfied? Do we have adequate sales to support profit? And, and the question here isn't, do we have, you know, heaping amounts of sales? It's simply, do we have adequate sales to create profit? Some businesses get stuck here. They just try to create more and more sales, hoping profit will come about. But profit itself is its own level. So once we have adequate sales, we then ask ourselves, do we have adequate profit? If not, we have a profit problem. We have to change margins and, and work with elements around profitability. Once that's satisfied, then we can serve needs at the order level, which is organizational efficiency, no dependency on the owner. The last thing I just want to share about this business hierarchy of needs is this is not a ladder. It's not a sequence where you go from sales to profit. Once you have that satisfied, you will forevermore be in order. Once that's done, you move on. No, this is something that we cycle through. It's like building a structure. You start with the foundation sales and it simply needs to be big enough to support the first floor, which is profit. Once that's in place, you can put the second floor. You don't start by putting a fifth floor on thin air or collapse on the ground. And conversely, you don't make this massive foundation of sales and put a little tool shed of profit above it because then profit will fall within sales. So it's like building a structure. You will cycle around wherever there's a crack in the foundation. We revert to the foundation and resolve it. Whenever we want to build a bigger structure, we make sure that every level below the level we're building is adequate to support the level we're at. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. It would be nice if we could build the building and just have it be a permanent structure and never have to revisit it. <laughs> right? Well, if you're a, yeah, if you're a homeowner, you get that this isn't true. It's, you know, there's constant maintenance. There's always something that needs to be maintained. And if we leave it alone, it goes into disrepair. And sadly, that's what most business owners do. I guess the illustration is they, they run down to the basement of sales and they stay in the basement day in, day out, trying to make the basement bigger and the building above it is decaying. So we have to build it in sequence. But, but the other mistake, and I already said this, but it's so common is business owners don't get past the sales stage. They just keep big, building a bigger and bigger foundation, but they don't even have a roof over their head. And they're wondering why the business can't struggle, even though they're making more and more money. It's because they're not taking any money, which is the element of profit. So this all works relationally. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of our businesses have roofless houses. <laughs> yeah, isn't that, it's sad, it's true. I'll tell you, and what we're experiencing now with this uh, unique situation with the pandemic, it's very clear how many businesses didn't have a roof over their head. It was Warren Buffett who said something, and I'm paraphrasing it, but basically, when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked. And uh, as this recession rolls through, I think we're at the start of a significant recession. I think it's, it's pretty undeniable. Um, but as we go through this period of time, you see all the businesses that weren't prepared. They didn't have the roof of profit. Um, they definitely didn't have efficiency. The owner was working harder and harder to grow the business as opposed to working smarter to grow the business. Well, I'm looking forward to reading this one. As I said, you know, I'm going through Private First right now. Um, it's actually an assignment in our ISI group. So, oh, cool. Um, a good assignment, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's homework nonetheless, but that's pretty cool. Um, but I'm looking forward to going through this one too. But I have to tell you, uh, you know, every single thing that you've said so far, I'm about halfway through the book, 
about everything that you've said so far in Profit First is somewhere between a dagger through my heart mm. <laughs> and a, wow, that makes so much sense. Why didn't I do it? Mm. <laughs> Which I suppose is a second dagger through my heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. And yeah, it can be a brutal reality. It was for me. You know, I, I think I'm ground zero on Profit First. I, I created that system, uh, I think I want to say about 12 years ago, uh, maybe, maybe maybe 11 years ago now. Um, and when I first did it, I, I did it out of desperation and anger at myself because I was making money in my business, but the money would always flow away. There was never profit left over. And uh, I realized I was cheating what my accountant was telling me to do, cheating the system. And what I mean by cheating, not stealing, I simply mean my accountant was saying to me, Mike, you have to log into your accounting system, look at the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, look at these things collectively, and you'll know where your business stands financially. And he said, the one thing you can never do is look at your bank account because that does not reflect what your business needs right now. And there may even be you know, cash in transit. So never look at that. But that's the one thing I did look at. I'd log in my bank account. If I had money, I'd say, great. And if I didn't, I'd panic and try to make money. Realizing that was my natural habit, I wrote Profit First to create a system that would capture that habit, allowing me to do what I always did. And that's what I think is necessary for humanity. It's very hard for us to change our habits, hard for us to change who we are, but it is easy to sustain an existing habit. So if we can create a system that channels that habit to get the outcome we want, we'll be very successful. That's what I did with Profit First. I, I set a system that works within the bank accounts we use. So we pre-allocate money to its intended use before we spend that money. And uh, inevitably, because we're taking our profit first, we start forcing profitability and sustain profitability. It is really fun, even when it's 1% of the very low bank balance. It is really fun to be able to look over at that account every once in a while. I know we're supposed to ignore it, but I, I like to peek at it. Um, I, I, gotta be, I gotta be honest, I, I peek every so often too. Uh, but it's inaccessible for me, which is nice. I have a second bank and I can look at the balance, but I can't withdraw money without getting a certified release of the check. Um, so it's protected for me, but it is fun to look at it. I'll tell you another weird thing. If you do the profit first system in full, I love paying taxes, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but the business now reserves my taxes on my behalf. So when tax time is due, I don't have to scramble to get money. I don't pull it out of my own account. The business pays it for me and it feels great. I don't, listen, I don't enjoy the paying the tax part, but I feel great that I don't have to worry about the taxes. And that's a good feeling. Mm, yeah, absolutely. During this time that we're going through, and, I, and I've had this thought several times, um, you know, it's like money grows on trees, which it doesn't actually, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's the way that things are being approached. I won't go political here. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, there's a real sense in a lot of people I talk to that it's like, how do I make sure I get mine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do we do to combat that mindset versus having a profitable growing business when we're in weirdness, like what we've got going on right now? Yeah. That's a difficult thing to navigate but I think the way to combat it is simply awareness of what's happening. So the awareness is this, is a herd mentality. It's called mass psychology. And what mass psychology is, is when, when there's shift afoot, we replicate other people's behaviors. Um, a real simple example of this would be a standing ovation. I strongly suspect, Steve, at some event, at some time, you've given standing ovations. I also suspect it was a rare occasion, maybe never, that you were the first person to stand because uh, it's uncomfortable. But then as another person stands next to that first person and then another, then it becomes uncomfortable to sit. If you're the one sitting down, you know, staring at everyone's ass as they're standing in front of you clapping, it's uncomfortable. So we replicate the behavior. What happens in mass psychology is the same thing. Now, it happened with toilet paper during this, this pandemic. Like some guy somewhere was out at a Walmart or something. He's buying toilet paper. There's news playing over the TVs in the store. And it says there's a COVID pandemic. And he may not even notice. He's like, you know what? We need an extra, extra pack at home. And he grabs a second roll. Well, now someone's observing that and they correlate it. Oh, there's a COVID pandemic. And this guy grabbed two rolls of toilet paper. 
two packs. I better buy another pack. And now that in that little pocket, wherever that was, that's the ground zero for toilet paper consumption. People start replicating it. And that store is now out of toilet paper. So what happens, those people call their friends and say, listen, there's a run on toilet paper at the store. You better go somewhere else. They start grabbing toilet paper. The news picks it up. And now we're all like, holy crap, I need toilet paper. And it, all the stores go empty on it. That's the mass psychology effect. And we see it with loans. We see it with money. The free money thing is some people, many people, unfortunately, are going for the money because everyone else is. They're not considering, why do you need a loan in the first place? What's jeopardized about your business that you need to fix? A loan is a Band-Aid potentially over a gaping wound here. It's going to do nothing for you. And, uh, you know, everyone's susceptible to this. The, the freaking L.A. Lakers, uh, the most profitable NBA team in history, got a PPP loan. Uh, Shake Shack ran out and got their loan. And the government had to ask it saying, hey, could you, could you please give it back? That's how this mass psychology works. So if you're just aware that is human tendency to replicate others and run for stuff, then at least you have an awareness. Then you also have the opportunity to consider why do I, am I doing this? As opposed to just replicating other people's behavior, what's the benefit or the detriment to myself and go in much smarter? So I'm not placing a judgment on getting a loan if it's good or not. I'm simply saying, if you need it, ask yourself why so you manage it prudently. And maybe you'll surprise yourself and you don't need it at all. And maybe you'll look at your account and be like, hey, you know what? I did it right and I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. All right. That's cool. So it does bring us to the, the tough question now, and that's you do a great job in your book, I think at least, of really simply saying, just do these really simple, basic things. They really always should have been, but nobody wrote the book about it, so I did. Um, <laughs> and, and that's kind of your approach to how you write things. So why is it after giving us that simple of instructions, we still don't do it? Yeah, well, <laughs> we get very comfortable in our routines. Uh, a business partner in one of my businesses has a great saying. He says, sometimes grooves become ruts. So we follow a pattern that may not be serving us, but there's a lot of comfort in it. And sometimes it's more comfortable to continue doing what's not working than the discomfort of having to make change. With Profit First, the system is literally, I believe, so simple as going to a bank, setting up a few accounts, Maybe it takes a half hour of your time. Actually, in this new virtual economy, uh, you can do it all remotely over, over the internet. It maybe takes five minutes of your time. And then start allocating a percentage of your money to a profit account. That's, it's literally that simple, and that's how you, you do it. And some people don't do it because I've done it a different way all the time. The second thing is that there's a disbelief in simplicity. Uh, and I think we, we don't believe in simplicity for a few reasons. One is, how can something so simple work? makes no sense. I'm going to stay with my way of doing it. Secondly, if it does work, and I think this is the real hidden truth, if it does work, I have to admit what I was doing didn't work. And that's tough for, for me to absorb, to admit my wrong moves, the things I was doing incorrectly. So sometimes it's better just to avoid something that will solve a problem because the pain of acknowledging I was doing it wrong for months or years or decades is too much to face. So we continue to do it the way we're doing it. There's a lot of psychology that plays on, but if we can be brutally honest with ourselves and just take the pause, not punish ourselves for doing something wrong in the past or something that didn't serve us, a willingness to try something new, it can be successful. And I encourage people to start slow. In every book, I give them this the one little, little thing you can do to get moving. Just like exercising, I, I, for the, probably the last five or six years, I've been very committed to exercising all the time, but I wasn't before. And what I discovered worked for me. I used to say, I'm going to go to the gym and work out. And then I would do it once and I'd be in such pain. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do this again. Well, I looked at my, my habits. And I noticed when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is go to the bathroom. And then I was like considering, oh, should I work out or drink coffee? Well, drinking coffee sounds way better. I'll do that. Well, the one change I made was I started putting my gym shoes, my sneakers on top of my toilet seat in the bathroom. So when I get out of bed and walk to the bathroom, the only way to use the bathroom is by grabbing my gym shoes. Now I got them in my hand and now it's like, okay, they're in my hand. Let me just put them on my feet. Grab my feet. Let me just walk over to the gym and get this done with. And it started this positive momentum by taking a very, very small step. 
that I couldn't deny. That I think is the key for change. Oh, that's good. So for those people that have been procrastinating or that this is new information to them, what is step one? What's the thing that they could do right now to begin to fix this next? Yeah. So the first thing is don't punish yourself. So if you, if you ever procrastinate, uh, don't punish yourself because my fear is then you'll justify procrastinating more by beating yourself up and say, I'm not worthy. It's okay. You did. It's no longer okay to continue. That's the way to position it. And if it's new to you, immediate action always serves you. So no matter what, take action. I think the smallest simple step, because you can do it immediately if you have access to a computer, is go to fixthisnext.com. It's a site set up. The reason is there's a free evaluation there. And there's no sign up and there's no download. You simply fill out this evaluation of your business. It may take five minutes, but I think it's five minutes invested very effectively because the system will report back to you what your business needs from you now. And so instead of trying to do everything and putting out fires. Now you know the one thing to do and you have direction, a way to march, a map. That you can do in the next five minutes and that will serve you going forward. Perfect. And of course the book is called Fix This Next by Mike McCallowitz. Um, do you have, so fixthisnext.com they can go to and get the book too so they don't have to try to figure out how to spell McCallowitz? Yeah, exactly. I do have a shortcut for that though. So yeah, Fix This Next has all the resources for the book uh, and the evaluation. If you want to get more on me, the author guy, uh, Mike McCallowitz would be the website, but that's a doozy for everybody, Steve. So I set up a shortcut. Uh, it's, my, it's my nickname in high school, which was Mike Motorbike. Uh, the irony is I've never driven a motorcycle. I don't plan to. But uh, you can go to mikemotorbike.com. Uh, all my books are there. There's resources. You can actually get all the chapter downloads for free for, from those books. Um, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get that stuff too. That's all available for free at mikemotorbike.com. Perfect. So we've got about two minutes left here. Um, what wise, funny, whatever kind of thing would you like to say to the listeners before we conclude? Okay. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it was wisdom that was departed to me. And it was kind of funny too. It was my first ever business coach. I worked with him for about 15 years before he retired. His name was Frank Minitolo. And I remember asking him one day, I was trying to create a new offering for my community, my customers. And I said, Frank, what should I do? What should I sell? And he looked at me, he says, I'll tell you, but don't listen to a word I'm about to say. And then he went on to tell me. And then I said, well, why would you say not to listen? He goes, because I am rendering my expert opinion, but I'm not a customer. And he goes, that's the problem. The people who speak the truth about the value of your offerings are the customers. Don't trust the words of the experts or even the words of the customer. Trust their wallets. And that's what he taught me is that it's the action of the customer that we need to judge and value. If if I have something that I want to sell to customers and they say, wow, that's a wonderful idea. That doesn't mean anything. When I have something I want to sell to customers and they say, it's a wonderful idea, here's the money for it, that means everything. So trust wallets, not words, and your business will be better for it. And it's always nice to get money. (laughs) It's always nice to get money, yeah. It doesn't hurt. The book is called Fix This Next by Mike McCallowitz. Fixthisnext.com or (laughs) mikemotorbike.com. You can go deeper uh, and you really should. If you haven't read any of Mike's books, like I said, they're a lot of fun as well as great information. Mike, thanks so much for spending some of your time. I know you're busy, but I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. This has been a joy, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, how much fun was that? Um, I just enjoy Mike so much. You really, uh, you need to get his books in writing, but you also need to get him in audiobook form. It's so much fun to listen to Mike. He has just the perfect snarky wit. And I mean, usually just from a production standpoint, I would take an interview that's that long and I would break it into two segments, but it was just too good. I just had to share it all with you. I didn't want to stop. I couldn't find a place to break it up. So I appreciate you bearing with it. I know it's a little longer than the industry tells us we should have a segment B, but I wanted you to hear and share all of the juicy stuff that Mike had to share today. I hope that you enjoyed it and that it has helped you up level in your journey to being a thriving entrepreneur. We've got another great 
guest coming up here right after this commercial break. So don't go away because we will be right back on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. In our last segment, we were talking with Mike McCallowitz, and he was talking about putting our profit first, about learning what to do next in our business. How powerful is that to be able to look at the entirety of all the things you have to do in your business and say to yourself, I'm gonna do this next. That's amazing, that is so powerful. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Mike is such a cool guy. I really enjoyed getting a chance to get to know him. Um, I've enjoyed his books, I hope you did too. But now I wanna shift gears a little bit. I wanna talk to you about what can happen if you have a profitable company, what can you do to sell your business, to acquire a new business, to uh, you know get investors, to become a publicly traded company? There's some interesting things that investors in business look at that you as a business owner need to understand with your company so that you can really allow profitability to give you a maximized, great, thriving lifestyle. With that said, let's jump into our next guest. Join me in welcoming Carl Allen. Hey, Carl, how are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So tell us a little bit about you and what got you to this point in your life. Yeah, sure. So I've, I've, been, a, um, I've been a buyer and seller of businesses for coming up on 28 years. So I left university in 92. I went to work for a Wall Street investment bank, uh, did lots and lots of big deals with uh, large corporates. And then I, the, the last kind of real job I had, if I can call it that, was I was uh, the director of M&A for uh, Hewlett Packard. I was buying businesses for them all over the world. This was back in 2008. And then um, one day I suddenly decided I didn't want to do this anymore. I, I was in Russia closing a deal and my wife went into labor four weeks early in the UK. So I had to fly home quickly, almost missed the birth of my son, who's now 12. So uh, I, I quit. I walked away from about a million dollars worth of options uh, just to be with my family. And, and then after a few weeks, I got really bored decided to become a business broker um, who buys and sells businesses for people. And instead, I ended up acquiring the business myself that I was hired to sell. And then it took me down a journey, uh, which I'm still doing, of, um, of buying, growing, and then selling um, you know, profitable small businesses. Mm, that's awesome. So of all the businesses, this is totally an unfair question, of all the businesses you've worked with, which one was the most fun? Oh, that was real. That's a really, really good question. I, I would have to say my first ever deal, uh, just because whilst I was classically trained in, in mergers and acquisitions, I knew how to buy businesses with my eyes closed. I'd done it hundreds of times on, on large corporates. When I bought my first uh, personal business, um, 
what I loved about it more than anything was I was able to buy that business using none of my own money. Um, I was able to finance that deal using some external financing and then also paying the seller for the business over time. So it's kind of the first time I'd ever personally done a leveraged buyout, you know, for myself or my own business. And then it gave me the opportunity to work, you know, with my own business for the first time. And rather than start a business, which I know a lot of people do, and a lot of those businesses sadly don't make it, I was able to buy a business that had cash flow, it had employees, it had customers, it had premises, it had equipment, it had everything that you need in business that you don't have when you start. So it, it was it was phenomenal. I just had this great box of things that I could play with. And, you know, I owned that business for about three years and then, then I sold it. So that was a lot of fun. So I know now that all of my listeners are thinking to themselves, what could I do to get you to just buy my business, Carl? <laughs> So it's interesting and that they, they wouldn't be alone. Um, we, we really are in a in an unprecedented scenario right now. And I'm not just talk, talking about the current uh, pandemic we're in. What we've seen over the last, I'd say, three to four years is lots and lots and lots of people deciding to sell their business. And I think that there's two major drivers of that. One is, um, especially in the States, it's like the baby boomer factor. You you have 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. And according to Forbes, 19% of them own small businesses. So there's, there's over 2.4 million businesses for sale right now in the United States. And unfortunately, only about one in 11 to one in 12 of those businesses actually end up selling because there's just a big lack of buyers that really understand the process of buying a business and also have access to capital so they can buy it primarily without using their own money. Because a lot of people believe that, uh, and it's a negative belief, that if you want to buy a business that's worth a million dollars, you need to personally write a million dollar check. You know, you don't. You, you can use other people's money to, uh, to acquire that business. And a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't understand the, the process of buying a business, pe people think it's just like um, buying a piece of real estate, which it kind of is, mechanically it is, but it, when you're buying and selling small businesses, it's 90% really about psychology. It's about building relationships between buyer and seller. It's really understanding the process. And uh, a lot of people really don't, don't grasp that. And that, that's why I have a mission to kind of coach and mentor entrepreneurs that really want to learn this way of, of, of life. And I'm not just talking about people that want to go into business for the first time and want to buy their first business. It's also about working with business owners that instead of continuing to hustle and grind to grow their revenues and grow their profits, they can do that much faster by actually acquiring a complementary business and combining it with the one um, that they already have. So how long does it take for a person to be able to figure out how to come up with the money other than just spending their own money to acquire that business or that second business like you were just talking about? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Typically, there's, there's three types of financing that you can use to buy a business. So the, the, the first method of financing, which might surprise you, is using the seller's own money. So seller financing or, or uh, lease to buy, as it's often called. And in a lot of cases, if you find a business um, and an owner that's highly motivated to sell, still needs the cash flow that the business is generating for them every month, but has some real burning desire to go and do something else. They, you know, they could be sick, they could be bored, they could be frustrated, you know, it doesn't matter. Then you could, step one is just offer to buy that business, but pay for it over time. So if you find a business that's generating, say $200,000 a year in cash flow, and that business on average is worth around two and a half times a multiple that's how businesses are valued so that business is worth half a million dollars so my opening offer would be 
I'll pay you $100,000 a year for five years. That means you can buy the business. You don't need any more money from a bank or the SBA or from an equity investor. And you're essentially just sharing the profits that the business can generate over time. And, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, why would a seller do that? If a seller is highly motivated to leave, just doesn't want to go into the business anymore, but wants somebody to take it on and safeguard the legacy that they've built, protect the employees that they have. You know, they don't just want to shut the business down and turn off the lights. If they want somebody to kind of hand it on to, they'll happily take that deal. And then you might have situations where the seller might say, well, I'll tell you what, Carl, give me half of the money at closing and you can pay me the other half over time. Then if the business is profitable and it's got assets on the balance sheet, then you're able to pledge those to financiers like the SBA, um, like equity investors, uh, like traditional banks, and they will loan the business money for that closing payment that again, you can pay back over time in addition to making true to the seller the rest of the money that you owe them. And, and that concept, Steve, is called a leveraged buyout, an LBO. And it's something that I learned uh, and mastered in all of my years on, on Wall Street and doing deals. What I've done is created a system to apply that to a small business between one and $10 million a year in annual revenues. Well, you've convinced me I'm going to sell you my business right now. <laughs> right. Um, I, I do wonder, though, you know, because when you start talking about a business that's worth, that has $200,000 a year of cash flow, um, do you find that in most of those cases, though, they're, as far as bottom line profitability, they're really, you know, at or near break even? Is that pretty normal in that range? And maybe you don't even mess with those since you're talking a million to five million. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, my my minimum my minimum requirements for buying a business is is I I want to see a million dollars on the top line, and at least two hundred thousand dollars on the bottom line. So I'm I'm looking for businesses with with a twenty percent margin. You know, what would I buy a business doing two million in revenues, making two hundred in profit? I would, because I know that I can probably um, increase those profits by adding all the value into the business um, that, uh, that, that, that I can do. So um, what, one, of the, one of the other things that I see a lot, uh, and this is one of the reasons actually why most businesses don't sell, and if, if you've got listeners that are looking to sell a business, this is the best piece of advice that I can give them, is you have to, you have to separate yourself from the day-to-day operational demands of the business. You, you have to work on your business, not in your business. Because if you work in your business and the business is 100% dependent on you to function, so you can't go on vacation, you can't get sick, the business only works if you show up and you're in it, then I actually don't think you have a business. I think you have a job in your own business and often it's, it's the worst job in the world successful businesses that sell and, and, and sell profitably are where the owner and the business are separate. So the owner can step away, go on vacation, um, do whatever, but the business still functions. It has systems, it has processes, it has people in that business that can operate it independently of the owner. Like the owner can be the visionary, the strategist, the deal maker, but not the person that's doing the day-to-day tactical and technical work that the business does. So that's my best piece of advice for someone that's looking to sell. You've got to separate yourself out of the daily operation. Otherwise, no one's going to buy it. Because uh, if you were to sell me your business and you were in that business 50 hours a week and it only worked if you were in it, when you leave, then basically I'm just buying your job. I'm not buying a business that's going to generate cash flow um, whether I'm in it or not. So that, that, that's a massive thing that I'm seeing in the U.S. right now. Mm, that makes so much sense. And, and a lot of businesses, I know, they, they don't have any of those systems. They're just running as hard as they can. So, yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about 
what a person can do to really set their business up to be juicy, tasty little morsel that you just want to swallow up? So a lot of it comes down to, I, I think, being differentiated. And if you look at the, um, if, if you look at the valuation multiples for, for small businesses, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the surveys put out every quarter, uh, Q4 of 2019, the average small business, so a business sub $5 million in revenues in the US in Q4 of last year, sold for just over 2.5 times its cash flow, um, which sounds really low, but you know, that's, that's the average of all the deals that, that you know, the 50,000 or so deals that, that were done in Q4 of last year. And what, what drives that multiple up or down is, is a number of things. So the, the first one is businesses that have, you know, kind of high barriers to entry. So if you own a business that um, is proprietary in some way, so you have some patented method of doing things or you have other IP or you're, you're just differentiated by, by price or by service or by value to the customer, those are things that increase multiples. Yet if you're a complete commodity business that has no barriers to entry and anyone can really just set up tomorrow and, and do that, that's something that drives your multiple down. Um, another way to, to really drive valuation is, is to really set a vision for the buyer of you know, what they can do with this business. So really identify what the growth opportunities might be. Um, so you could be set on a business that's doing, say, $2 million a year. And just because it doesn't fit your lifestyle or your mindset or your goals, um, show how this can be quickly become a 5 or $10 million business with the right level of investment and, and the right level of scale. Um, businesses with, with really strong profit margins command a higher multiple. Um, and then businesses that, you know, are really kind of proprietary. So you're, you're doing things different and, and they have what I call, you know, a unique mechanism. Um, and you, you have, you know, a very diversified customer base and, you know, lots of raving fans and great customer service and all those great things. So it's all about making your business as unique as you possibly can and really standing out you know, from the rest of your market. Because, you know, what's really interesting, Steve, when, 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 I, when I talk to small business owners and I talk to them every day, because I, I, I teach this process, but I'm an active business buyer through my private equity firm. And, and I'm talking to sellers all day long. And, you know, one of the key questions I ask them is, is you know, how, how do you compete? Maybe you're competitors in the marketplace. And nine times out of 10, a business owner will tell me, yeah, we don't have any competition, Carl. You know, we're unique. Uh, and, you know, obviously they do. It's all about how you differentiate yourself from those people. And for people that, a lot of people, they don't know the answer to that question. They don't know why they're differentiated and why they're unique. And all you need to do is call, call your best 10 customers and ask them, you know, why do they buy you and not the competition? You know, what do they value in you? What do you do that is just amazing? And they're coming back time and time again to do business with you. And then once you understand what that is, that's what we call your, your USP, your unique selling proposition. And then your goal as a business owner is do that for every single customer, every single business that you interact with. Um, and that's a real surefire way to, uh, to really scale and optimize a business. And then people will notice you in the marketplace. Trade buyers or other companies will notice you're in the marketplace you're you're becoming a nuisance you're 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 taking their customers and you know you're getting in their way and if if they're a larger competitor if they're a larger business and they've got deep pockets uh it, it's cheaper and quicker and easier for them just to come and buy you out than to go kind of toe to toe with you um in the marketplace perfect so for the people who would like to dive deeper into this with you, how can they get in contact with you? So, so I've actually created um, a free gift for your, uh, for your audience, Steve. I put together a, a blueprint uh, report on how to buy and sell businesses. Um, it's if they go to trainwithcarl.com forward slash 
thriving. Uh, it's a completely uh, complimentary report. They can download that, probably take them a couple of hours to read it. There's a lot of detail in there, but it really goes into the art and the science and the psychology of how buying and selling small businesses work, especially in the United States. Um, you know, really, and there's, there's ways on there to contact me as well and get in touch. There'll be links to our YouTube channel. I, I go live every Friday for an hour answering Q&A with, uh, with people that, that want to do deals. Uh, have businesses to sell, have businesses they want to buy. So I'm um, just out there really looking to serve the community. So it's trainwithcarl.com forward slash thriving. Perfect. Well, Carl, I really appreciate you spending some time with us on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I appreciated that so much. I don't know about you, but I have pages of notes, lots of things that I'm working on in my own business Thanks to all of the advice that we received on this episode. I want to try to always bring you powerful guests that have amazing messages to inspire you, but to also help you in your business. I want you to be inspired to say, hey, I've got a message that I need to share with the world, and I want you to up-level what you're doing in your life and your business. For some of you, you're saying, Steve, my business isn't really taken off yet, or maybe you even are just working in the corporate job, and maybe you aspire to a company, maybe you don't. But there are some things that in profitability, when we really look at our money from the same way that we look at it when we want to be appealing to an investor and we want to live a profitable lifestyle. There are so many things that are good for us in managing our money in that way. And that's really why I wanted to put these two guests together is because whether working a nine to five job or you're running a company, that profitability mindset, that profitability lifestyle really helps you be able to live the life that I know you want to live. Because after all, I know you want to live as a thriving entrepreneur, wherever you are on your journey. I hope that you are thriving today, that you are feeling peace, warmth, safety, and love in your life, that you know deep within your heart and soul that you are uniquely brilliant that you were created for a purpose and that absolutely, totally, the world needs you. You're so amazing. You're so incredible. I don't have enough words to express how massively important you are to this world. And I'm so grateful to be able to bring guests to you and help you up level as you move in your day-to-day -day life and live as a thriving entrepreneur. I hope that until we're together and next time, that you feel happiness and joy bubbling up inside of you, that you will take heart to all the things we've talked about today, and that you will have an amazingly abundant, great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve, 
believe. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You